All right, well, if you have a Bible, please grab it and make your way to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Ephesians while these guys are getting off the stage and you're making your way to uh, the book of Ephesians. I've got a confession to make. And that is that when I pray, uh, a lot of times, um, especially on my own, like when I'm praying just silently in my own mind, a lot of times I'll begin well and then I will go off on a rabbit trail of some sort. And I'll be praying about, or, or maybe not even praying anymore, maybe just thinking about something. All of a sudden I'm walking down memory lane or, I, or I'm writing out a grocery list or, or thinking about, you know, whatever it is, may, it may be going. And then all of a sudden I kind of come to and I'm like, oh yeah, I need to, I need to get back, back to, you know, praying about what I, was, what I was praying about. And so on the one hand, I need to do a lot better job of just being disciplined in my prayer life. Yes. On the other hand, and for those of you who are similar in this, we also need to give ourselves a little bit of grace because even the Apostle Paul does this. If you look where Jeff began reading just a second ago, it begins for this reason there in verse 14. But if you'll look back to the beginning of chapter 3, it says, for this reason. And so Paul begins praying back in verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and there's this long hyphen, assuming that you've heard of it, and he just kind of goes off on, on a bit of a rabbit trail. Now, his is a Holy Spirit-inspired rabbit trail, whereas, you know, mine and yours, we're, we're talking about, thinking about, praying about who knows what. So his is a Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired rabbit trail. But it's a rabbit trail nonetheless. And so as we come to verse 14, now he's kind of getting back to what he began to pray about in verse 1. And this, like the praying that he is doing here, this, this is not the first prayer that we've seen in the book of Ephesians. And it's not going to be the last. In fact, so much of the book of Ephesians is a prayer. Paul is constantly praying in the midst of this book. It is woven. Prayer is woven throughout the entire book. Because as one guy put it, there is no such thing as a faithful Christian church without a praying Christian people. All right, not original with me. I'm going to say that again, though. There is no such thing as a faithful Christian church without a praying Christian people. And so Paul instructs by volume throughout this book on the importance of prayer and particularly praying for the church. Because as you look through, I mean, Paul's in in, in prison while he's writing this. And there are very few. Right at the end, there's a couple of specific um, specific prayer requests for himself. But the bulk of everything in here is him praying for this church that he had planted, he had started it, he had pastored it for three years. Now he's gone on and he's writing a letter back to them, encouraging them, and he's praying for them constantly. And so by volume, the amount of prayers in here, we see the importance of praying for our church. But then this prayer also kind of helps us with the the how, the practicalities. He instructs us in the how of praying for our church. And it's that idea, the how, that I want to focus our attention on this morning. Specifically, I want us to learn from Paul's model here three facets that we need to get right as we pray for our church. 
And the first one is this. If you've got a sermon guide in front of you, you'll see three, three of these. You can get these on our Facebook page. Or if you're a member of the church, you should be getting an email. If you're not, let us know. We'll make sure we get that to you. But the first one is this. Pray with the right posture. Pray with the right posture. And so look at verse 14 with me again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Okay, for this reason, what reason? The fact that Jews and Gentiles have been made one in Christ. We've been given grace through faith in Christ. He's, and he's taken two, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. We've been made one in Christ. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so two aspects of praying with the right posture that that we should note here. One is praying with the posture of humility. And then the other is praying with the posture of understanding that we are, if we are in Christ, if we have trusted Christ by by grace through faith, then we are his children and he is our, God the Father is our Father. And so from a humility perspective, he says that he bows. Now, it's important to understand when we're talking about posture here, what we're getting at is not like the physical location of your body, the physical position of your body, but rather the attitude, the the disposition, the posture of your heart. Because when you look through the Bible, like you see people uh, sitting to pray, you see people standing to pray, you see people lying in their bed praying. And so this idea of kneeling here, like actually that's pretty uncommon in the Bible. It wasn't a common thing. For people to kneel to pray. They, they typically stood to pray. And put their, put their hands in the, in, the, in the air. But when we think about the idea of kneeling to pray. The, the, the symbolism that's given off there. And, and that Paul is actually modeling here. When he actually does bow his knees. Is a striking picture. It is so instructive. And it's also beautiful. Because it's the idea of surrender. Like I surrender all. That's what Paul is saying. I surrender to you. And you think about other places where people kneel. Like in a war, when, when one you know, side uh, surrenders to the other, sometimes they kneel before them. If you are a Star Wars fan, you'll, you'll you know, remember Revenge of the Sith, and Anakin kneels before the emperor. He surrenders to him. right? And also just kneeling has the, has the, the feeling of, of, of desperation as well. When people beg for things, you'll see them kneel and they'll, they'll beg. And this is the idea of humility, that we are not worthy to you know, come to, to Christ, to come to God in prayer. We're not worthy for that, we, but we come with a surrendered heart. We come with a humble heart, recognizing His supremacy, our lowliness, our desperation, our need of Him to work. That's a posture that we come with. But then we couple that unworthiness and that humility with the other posture. And that's the posture of being a child of God. If we are in Christ. I mean, Jesus teaches us, when he teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. Our Father. Recognizing that will change your prayer life. 
It is impossible to overemphasize what I'm about to say. Truly, it is, it's impossible to overemphasize what I'm about to say, so I want you to listen very well. I can teach you nothing more important about prayer, and I can, I can give to you nothing more important to encourage your prayer life than to, to teach you and to help you recognize that God is your Father. That will change your prayer life more than anything. When you recognize that God is your Father. It's when you recognize that, prayer all of a sudden makes a lot of sense and it's pretty easy. You're talking to your Father. When you don't recognize that, prayer becomes pretty complicated and, 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 and difficult in a way that it shouldn't and that God never intended. And so on April 2nd, 2005, around 11 a.m. at Northside Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, I became a dad for the first time when this beautiful, head full of hair little girl made her entrance into the world. And in that moment and in the days since then, 15 years since then, more kids have come along. I have, like, becoming a dad has taught me more about the love of God and about God's character than probably anything else in my entire life. Because, I mean, I love my kids. I am committed to my kids, and I would do everything anything for the good of my kids and then i think about the fact that god loves me like that are you kidding and when you get that it will change and and i'm a sinner and we're talking about a perfect father so this will change your prayer life when you understand you have a father who loves you Who will do anything for your good? When you get that, it will change your prayer life because now you understand God's a father. He's a perfect father. And so when you pray, you're talking to your dad. I mean, Paul, you're like, that sounds a little bit like we need to be humble before the Lord. Yes, I just talked about that. But Paul himself, in another book that he writes, uses terms of endearment like Abba, which means Papa. Like it's a closeness. You're talking to your father. If you are in Christ, God is your father. You've been adopted into his family. And so when you talk to your father, talk. Like my kids, they don't go home and and they're not at home writing out an outline so that they can talk to me tonight. They're not practicing so that they can talk to me. No, no, no. They, They just say, hey, dad. And we talk. When you understand that God is your Father, it changes your prayer life. And He'll never not have time to talk. Right? Some, I mean, again, sinner here, right? Sometimes I get busy. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes I just want some time to myself because I'm selfish. God will never do that. He will always make time to hear from you. He, is all, he always has a listening ear. He will always hear your prayers. And so talk to him about everything with this posture. A posture of humility, yes. 
and a posture of knowing God is your perfect and loving Father. And so number one, pray. And as you pray, pray with the right posture. All right? That's number one. Number two, all right? Talking about praying for the church here again, okay? Pray, number two, pray with the right focus. Pray with the right focus. And so look at verse 16 with me. I'll just start in 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according, here we go, verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so as we pray for the church, the first thing we should focus on in our praying is that the church, like if you want to put a letter A, pray for the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's one of our focuses. We should pray. When we're praying for the church, we should pray that the church would be filled with the Spirit. I want you to make sure you understand as we look at these verses 16 and 17 here, Paul is not saying that like first we need to be empowered by the Spirit so that subsequently Christ may dwell in our hearts. No, these are parallel statements. He's saying the same thing in two different ways. To be empowered by the Spirit in your inner being means that Christ dwells in your heart through faith. And so Paul's prayer here is that the church would be filled with the Spirit. That our collective and individual hearts would be Christ's home. And so think about when you buy a house. If you've ever bought a house, think back to you know, a house that you bought. Or if you hope to buy a house someday, you can think, you know, looking forward to that. But when you buy a house... Think about what happens, like after it's all done, after the rigmarole and all that stuff and signing your life away, think about what happens. You move into that house and you start changing it, right? You start changing the house. You might initially start by painting the walls, maybe you'll change the floors, maybe in time over the years you'll even knock out walls, add Add on a little bit. Like It's going to be all kinds of changes. You are going to remodel that house. Because what is happening is, I mean, and you're also going to decorate it. You're going to bring in your own furniture, all these things. Because what's happening is that house is becoming a home. And so it takes on your particular tastes. It reflects who you are. It feels like you. It looks like you. It takes on your characteristics. And so it is with our hearts as it relates to being Christ's home. He remodels. He moves in. He transforms. And we begin to reflect His character. And Jesus, when He comes into our heart, He comes in as a homeowner. He's not a renter, right? And he's not like a hotel customer who checks in one day and checks out another day. No, no, no. He comes in and he's home. And he's going to remodel you until he returns or you go home to be with the Lord. This is what he does in the life of a Christian. He takes up residence in your heart and he remodels you for the rest of your life. 
And sometimes it's just a little paint on the walls. Sometimes it's changing out the floors. And sometimes he takes a wrecking ball and knocks part of the house down and rebuilds it better. But he will be at work for your good. God loves you. And he goes to work so that we would reflect the character of Christ. So we would reflect the fruit of the Spirit. We would be filled with that. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And so as you pray for the church, focus first of all on praying that the church would collectively and individually be filled with the Spirit. They're like Bill Bryson, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. He once wrote this really helpful little pamphlet. And it just said, My heart, colon, Christ's home. That's who we're supposed to be. be. So pray with that focus that we'd be filled with the Spirit. Letter B of this, pray with the right focus that the church would be filled with the fullness of God. Pray that the church would be filled with the fullness of God. What's the fullness of God? The fullness of God is best summarized by the love of Christ. And so pray that the church will be filled with the fullness of God, a.k.a. the love of Christ. And so look at verse 17 with me again. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, that's the church, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so again, focus two is that the church be filled with the fullness of God. Which is the love of Christ. And so basically what Paul is praying here. It's basically like, hey church, hey Ephesian church. On the basis of everything that I have said thus far in chapters 1 through 2. On the basis of the fact that like all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. How we've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How we've been made one in Christ. Listen church, my prayer for you, this is what Paul said, my prayer for you is that on the basis of all of this, that God would empower you and grant to you a greater knowledge of his extraordinary love for you like on the basis of all this my prayer above all things and i'm praying for you paul writing to this church is that you would know you would better grasp how much god loves you he does not say all right my prayer for you is that you would do this and this and this and this and this my prayer my most important my most fervent prayer is that you would get how much god loves you that you would get it at a gut level Not just in your head. Deep down in your soul. I mean, growing up, I never had to wonder, and I know this isn't the case for everybody, but for me, I never had to wonder if my parents loved me. I might question certain things they did or question, you know, but I never questioned, do they love me? Like, I just knew it. It wasn't, I just knew it deep down. This is the kind of question we, this is the kind of, of love, this kind of feeling we should have in our gut. Know that God loves me because of what Christ has done. 
This is what God, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in what He's done, His life, His death, His resurrection to make you right with the Father. This is the kind of love that the Father now has for you. He has adopted you into His family. And He loves you. And so Paul is praying here in, in verses 18 and in 19, almost a crazy prayer. He prays that we would have, look at it, verse 18, strength to comprehend with, with all the saints, that's the church, what is the breadth and the, and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so basically he's praying that we would comprehend the incomprehensible. He says, I want you to comprehend what surpasses knowledge. And so I think it's kind of like a scene from Avengers Endgame. If you've seen that movie, great. If not, you should. If you're a Marvel fan, kids, those of you who are Marvel fans, remember this thing. Think about this scene for a minute. And it's the scene where, where Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, is putting his daughter to bed. And so he's tucking her in, whatnot. And she looks up at him and she, and she says, I love you 3,000. And why does she say 3,000? Well, that's because that's like, for her, a little girl, a very small girl, that's the biggest number she can think of. And so she stretches to the absolute limits, to the greatest extent of her knowledge, to express the magnitude of her love for her dad. And in a way, that's what Paul is doing here. He's trying to help us wrap our minds around how ridiculously much God loves his church by stretching our minds to their limits of understanding in order to catch just a glimpse of that love. And so Paul says that God's love for his people is as long as eternity past, and it's as wide as to include all the nations, and it's as high as to ring praises from the angels in heaven, and it's as deep as to cancel the claims of hell on our souls. But friends, even the apostle Paul cannot express how great this love is. He is limited. Like if we think Tony Stark's daughter, Iron Man's daughter, is limited in her ability to describe love, so is Paul. It is not within the limits of humanity to express how great the love of Christ is for His people. No matter how much we grasp, no matter how much we comprehend, we're not even close. This is the love that God has for you if you are in Christ. And friends, it's this surpassing knowledge kind of love that we have to hang on to in moments of crisis and difficulty and worry like in these moments today, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to pay my employees? How am I going to get through this moment? We may not know the like, specific answer, but we know that God 
loves us. He hasn't stopped loving us. He hasn't stopped providing for us. He hasn't stopped being with us. We've got to hang on to this love that surpasses knowledge in the midst of these days. See, those without a biblical understanding will try to define God's love for them based upon their circumstances. Based upon their experiences. If things are going good, God loves me. If things are going bad, God doesn't love me. But the Bible teaches that the definition of God's love for us, the measure of God's love for us, is not circumstances. It's His character. It's who He is. It's the character that is revealed in, I mean, the width, the length, the breadth, the height is revealed in the cross. That's the measure of God's love for you. It's the cross. It's like an article I once read uh, in, uh, online, actually. And it was a story of a guy, and his name was Brennan, and he had a best friend whose name was Ray, and they did everything together. They grew up together, they bought their first car together, they uh, went on double dates together, they went to school together, they even enlisted in the army together. They went to boot camp together. They did all of these things. They were absolute best friends. And they went into the front lines, onto the front lines together. And one day as they're sitting in a foxhole, years later, at war, sitting in a foxhole, they're sitting there and, you know, kind of like Forrest Gump and, and Bubba backs up against one another in a foxhole together, best friends like that. And all of a sudden a grenade falls into, flies into the foxhole. And Brennan and, 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 and Ray are sitting there, and Brennan's just running on about all their, you know, exploits when they were younger, all the things that they had did, and, and, and Ray's eating, you know, a candy bar. And all of a sudden, this grenade comes in, and Ray looks at Brennan, and he smiles, and he drops his candy bar, and he jumps on the grenade. And it explodes, and he dies. And Brennan is spared. And years later, Brennan's at home, and he's talking to Ray's mom about this moment. And, and he's talking with her about how he wished, you know, he, he, he had expressed his love for, for Ray more. And, 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 you know, asks the mom, like, do you think Ray loved me as well? And the mom grows quiet for a minute and takes her finger and points right in his face and says, what more could he have done to show you? What more could he have done to show you? Friends, we come a week, a week after Holy Week in the death and resurrection of Jesus. What more? If you wonder, like, does God love me? How much does God love me? If you wonder that, what more could he have done to show you? He lived for you. He died for you. He rose again for you so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be reconciled, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have eternal life, so that you could have the promise of having a father in this life who loves you and is with you and provides for you, so that you could have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, living inside of you, remodeling you, changing you until you drop or he returns. How much more could he have done to show you? And so as you pray, pray supremely, like 
when you're praying for the church, that the church would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that the church would be filled with the fullness of God, which is the love of Christ. And we'd be filled with the Spirit and we'd be filled with the love of Christ individually and collectively as a church. All right? And so number one, pray with the right posture. Number two, pray with the right focus. And finally, number three, pray with the right confidence. Look at verse 20 with me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so when you pray, listen, pray with confidence in God. Like whatever you ask for, God can do more. Whatever you think, God can do more. And not just more, it says far more. He can do far more. And so this is an invitation to ask. This is an invitation to ask because the person who can do far more is your father who loves you. I mean, how amazing is this to think that there is a God out there who can do supremely more than we would ever ask or think and then to think, oh, he's my father and he loves me. And so ask. Ask him. Let's ask him for big things. Let's ask him to end this pandemic. Let's ask him to, to, take, to knock out all of the financial hardships that have hit people. Let's ask him to not let anybody else die. Let's ask him, like in the midst of our church, to see people come to faith. Let's ask him to, to help us with reaching and parking and giving and building. Let's ask him to help us move forward. Even in this time, that can't happen. He can do far more abundantly than we ever ask or think. It says earlier that he gives according to his great riches, not out of. Right? Like if you give out of, that means they could go, they could, you could run them out. Not with God. He can't run out of mercy and grace and love. And he can't run out. He gives according to his great riches of mercy. And by riches, I'm not just talking finances here. In fact, that's the least of what I'm talking about. But he gives according to these things, not out of. And so let's ask him. He's our father. Let's ask him to do great things in the church. And let's trust him. As we do so, praying with confidence that he can, but we will trust him that if he says yes, great. No, great. Later, great. We know that whatever that shakes out, and even when things say, he says no, we really would like to see him go the other way. I mean, big prayers. Spare this person's life. Save them. And he doesn't. Still, we know that he is doing that for his glory and the good of his church. Even when we don't understand those things. And the reason is because he's infinite and we're finite. He's unlimited and we are limited. 
He plays a long game that we have no ability to see. Because we are constrained to this tiny little life. And so we need to keep that in mind as we are praying with confidence. We are praying to our Father, yes, who loves us, who is also the infinite God of the universe, who controls all things in the palm of His hand. And so we can pray with great confidence. There's nothing He can't do. And there's nothing that He will ever do that's not ultimately long-term good. And so let's pray. And I want you to notice that it's not just him doing things for us. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He wants to do things in us. That's that remodeling. That's that changing. That's changing us, working in us, making us more like Christ. And then 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And amen. And sometimes I think we forget that God's glory is not just in the heavens. And God's glory is not just in, the, in, in, in Jesus, in, the, in Christ Jesus. God's glory is made visible in the church. Something that we hammer on a lot in recent years. That God's glory is made visible in the church. It's made visible when people who should not get together, people who should not be friends, people who do not have anything in common, political opponents, they like One likes Tennessee and one likes Alabama, right? All kinds of different things. But they get together and they love one another for no other reason. One's socioeconomically in one class and one's socioeconomically in another class. But they get together. Everything's different, but they love one another because they have Christ in common. And that makes the world say, that's weird. That's the glory of Christ made visible in the church. It's when students who aren't naturally friends with one another work hard to be friends with one another, following the example of Jesus, who's the friend of sinners. Not natural friends, right? Jesus is holy. It's when, like stories I've heard of kids, y'all are doing some amazing things, doing some artwork, writing a card, sending it to to one another, other kids sending it to uh, older people in the, more seasoned people, make sure we get that right, more seasoned people in the church, loving on one another, things that might naturally not, not be a normal thing. That's what, makes the, that's what makes the visible glory of God, that's what makes it visible. These non-natural things happening for the glory of Christ because of the gospel. Because of the unity that it brings. That supersedes anything else. See, Christianity is not just like a personal individual relationship with Jesus. You hear that a lot. I mean, it, it's, it is that. And it's the church. It takes both of those. I mean, like when I was growing up as a kid, I I did not have a personal, isolated relationship with my dad. If I came to dad and said, hey, dad, I love this personal, isolated relationship I had with you. He'd be like, son, you have a brother and you have a mom. We're in this all together. You can't just have a relationship with me. I made you part of a family. 
you have a relationship with your brother, with your mom. And so it is with us. It is impossible, biblically, to have a personal, isolated, private relationship with Christ, separated off from the church. God wants glory in the bride and the groom. The bride, to Him be glory in the church, the groom, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And so church, let's pray for one another. Let's pray. Paul has modeled it by volume, the amount of times he prays for the church. And I bet if we're honest with ourselves, we we pray for the church some here and there, but the bulk of our prayers are concerned with different things. And again, we should pray for all things. God is our Father. He's involved with every aspect of our life. But a big part of that should be praying for the church. And so let's do that. Let's, let's pray for the church collectively and let's pray for the church individually. Use the directory. Pray for these people as you see them. Every day, go through that. Make that just part of your praying time. Our elders are modeling, our other elders are, are modeling they're modeling this beautifully. Every Monday through Friday, they are praying for whatever corresponding letter it is. Let's all do that. Let's make that a habit. Let's pray for one another constantly. Use the directory. Pray through it. And as you do, pray with the right posture and pray with the right focus that we be filled with the Spirit and be filled with the fullness of God, which is the love of Christ, and pray with the right confidence. God is able to do abundantly more than we ever ask or think. Far more than we ever ask or think. Right posture, right focus, right confidence. That's how we pray. And so let's pray now. Father, this passage is such a warm blanket in these times. And not only does it show us how we should pray, but the content of what Paul is praying for the Ephesian church and, 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 and through the, the years down to us, that above all, that we would know, that we would comprehend to some small degree, the incomprehensible love that you have for us. Oh, Father, would you just use that by the power of your Holy Spirit to just give us a great big bear hug today. A great big I love you from God the Father. And would that change us? That we might love others, not out of guilt, not out of gumption and and pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, but out of gratitude for the gospel. We've been loved, so we love. We've been forgiven, so we forgive. That we can't help it. We've been changed. And we're a work in progress in the middle of renovation. 
until you complete your good work in us or bring us home. And so, Father, we just, we are thankful people for your love. And never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. Undeserved. But so, so appreciated. It's not even close to the right word. We can't capture the power. We love you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name. If you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never received, if you've never surrendered to him, that model, that posture of bowing, I mean, that is the model, that is the posture of receiving Christ. And you receive his free gift of salvation. That's not about what you do, but it's about what Christ did on the cross for you. We can't attain enough holiness to reach God. So God sent his son to us. If you've never trusted in him and received that free gift, you can do that right now as you're sitting there. Right now as you're watching this. You can just ask God to forgive you. You can, you can admit that you were a sinner, agree with him about your sin, and ask him to save you from your sin based upon his life, that you take what he did to be what makes you right with the Father. And if you do that, or you want to do that, or you want to talk about that, then just comment right now. You can comment live. There's elders on that live feed. Whichever platform you're on, they'll correspond with you. Or you can send an email on our website, or you can go to the Connect card that, that you can click on right now, and you can send it, and we can do that privately. But whatever it is, they're, like, the Father loves you. Jesus loves you. The Spirit loves you. I mean, Trinitarian language is all over this passage. And he wants to save you. And then he wants to love you forever. This is the gift of God in Christ Jesus. And so until next week, next week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always. You guys have a great week.